Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Well, it's great to be with you. Quick uh, moms out there, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Can we do it? I don't know if we, we did it already, but can we just do another round? Round of applause. If there's any men in the house who forgot, I'm gonna say a really long prayer. You can leave for a few minutes. Shoppers Drug Mart's still open if you need to go grab something. I think there's some flowers left at the grocery store. You can do that. I'll, I'll probably see you there in about a half an hour. So anyways, it's great, great to be with you. Um, listen, uh, honestly, great service so far. We had an amazing time in the nine o'clock service and so excited to be with you today. And for those of you that are joining us online, we're so thankful you're able to be with us from wherever you are or if you're watching later on demand, whenever this is for you. But I'm also thrilled to be with those of you here today and thankful you took some time out of this beautiful, beautiful Mother's Day to be with us. And I'm really looking forward to this series that we're kicking off. And I should let you know, this series is really near and dear to my heart. And really it's because I've been thinking a lot about this because believe it or not, this time of year is the busiest time of year for me as a pastor. Um, I've, uh, it's, you know, love is in the air. I don't know if you knew that, but like wedding season is upon us. Um, I've officiated two weddings in the last month. I've got the honor and privilege of officiating a number of other weddings uh, throughout the summer and into the fall. And uh, I love this opportunity. You know, people are always so gracious when you, when you step into their lives in these special moments. Like, oh, we're, you know, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for being a part of a special day. And I'm like, listen, the honor's all mine. Because when you stop and think about it, I'm going to be in pictures you're going to look at for the rest of your life. So, you know, sorry, I'm not better looking. But anyways, but, but it's, it's funny. And, and honestly, though, I say that all jokes aside, the reason, quite honestly, that I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to be in so many couples' lives is not just because of the pictures and not just because of the ceremony. It's actually because of the opportunity um, it gives me to have these kind of what we call premarital sessions with couples who I'm going to officiate their wedding. And so I sit down with them. It's usually three or four sessions. And we talk about life. We talk about married life. We talk about a lot of the challenges that couples will face in married life. And we kind of talk talk about how to work through those and how to kind of live with those and how to navigate them as a couple so that we kind of live the marriage and have the marriage that we all want to have and expect to have and hope and dream to have. And so we talk about a lot of those things. And I love it too, not just because of what I get to share with couples in those experiences or in those sessions, but also because of what they share with me. Um, And many times this is the first opportunity I've had to really talk to this couple and get to know this couple. Um, Maybe they're new to the church. Maybe they don't even come to our church at all. And they just were like, you know, they asked six other people and they all said no. And so they're like, hey, we heard about you. And so will you do this? And so I sit down with them and talk to them. And they tell me their story. And I love that. I love hearing stories. I love hearing about the journeys that each of them had been on individually. I love hearing about how they met each other, how they, how they fell in love. I really love the proposal story, you know, because you get to hear all the, you know, the romantic gestures and all these things that happen, all the creativity that goes into these things. But it hit me. And the reason why I'm excited about this series, it hit me at some point, you know, a little while ago, I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, marriage and wedding season and all these different things that at the end of the day, when you really boil it down, like for me in the role that I play, when, you know, all the stories I've heard in over 20 years of ministry and doing this and all the couples I've met and all the, you know, wedding ceremonies that I've officiated, when you really boil it down, they're all the same. Like, like for as unique and as individual as every couple is and every wedding ceremony is, when you really boil it down at the end of the day, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Love is patient, love is... Like you use the same scriptures, you hear the same stories. Like we were two individuals doing our own thing and then we met and it was this meet cute thing and we fell in love and then one proposed and the other one said yes and then they created and want to have this elaborate, beautiful ceremony that they... Like it's this whole thing. But they're essentially all the same. 
that there was this private, intimate moment where someone said, will you marry me? And the person said, yes. And then it goes on and we want to have this you know, elaborate ceremony and we want to have this big reception and hope that somebody will buy us that really expensive toaster that we registered for on Amazon. But it's the same thing. And many of us in this room, many of you at home, you know, we've all, you know, there are those of us that are married, we have our own story. It's this kind of similar experience that we've all shared. And what's amazing is that experience that we all have in common, as different as it might've been in the specifics, it's actually a mirror, this dynamic we've all experienced is a mirror of another relationship that we've been invited to. And here's the amazing thing for those of you that are married and for those of you that aren't, I promise you maybe this day will come for you. But for those of us that are married, you can kind of think back and you stood on a stage just like this one. For some of you, it was this stage and you stood on it and you stood you know, with all your friends and your family and they were all, and they heard you say, you know, repeat after me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health till death do us part. And these couples, maybe if you're married, you, you said those words, you repeated after a minister or maybe it was me and you repeated those words and you meant it like you meant it, you said it, but you had no idea what you were getting yourself into, right? Like you had no idea, you said for better, for worse, for, but you didn't know what that meant, for better, for worse. We, I don't know what better or worse is gonna be. Rich or poor, don't know what that's gonna be. In sickness and in health, don't know what that's gonna be. Till death do us part, hopefully it's you first. Like we, we didn't really have... <laughs> We didn't really have all that mapped out, we, but we meant what we said. We just didn't know what it was going to mean when we said it, Right? And again, this interesting dynamic, this thing that many of us have experienced, those words that many of us have said, this is a mirror of another relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ that each one of us has been invited into, that you've been given a proposal, an invitation has been extended to you. And it's not, will you marry me? Jesus proposes to you and he says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? And, and he invites you into this personal, intimate relationship with him. And he asks you, will you follow me? And many of you have made that decision. Maybe you made it when you were a teenager. Maybe you met, you know, and was in college. Maybe you went to a college group. Maybe you've made it here at the bridge in recent months. I'm not sure. Maybe you made it years and years and years ago. In fact, you made it so many years ago, you don't even really remember the specifics. But you, at some point in your life, you came to faith and you said, yes, I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life to you. And from that moment on, in that moment, you essentially, you said yes to the dress. Because as you read through the scriptures, there's this beautiful thing that we see that this dynamic that couples experience relationally, that, that throughout the scriptures, you find this kind of idea, this, this imagery of we are referred to as the bride of Christ. That throughout the scriptures, if you read, now this term isn't in the Bible, much like the word Trinity is not in the Bible. These are common terms or common words that theologians have used to basically describe or encapsulate these big ideas that are woven throughout scripture. You won't find the word Trinity in scripture. You won't find the term bride of Christ in scripture, but the theme or the idea is woven throughout scripture that in God's eyes, if you have come to a place in your life where you have accepted Christ as your Lord and savior, where you have acknowledged I am a sinner in need of a savior and I wanna commit my life to you and I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna begin to follow you having no idea the implications of this decision. I'm gonna walk with you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And as I do, just as with my spouse, I'm gonna discover the implications of what it means to follow you, Jesus. And for those of you that at some point in your life made that decision, you made a personal decision to follow Christ with your life, you and I, we are part of the bride of Christ. And again, he's not talking about a building that you enter. He's not talking about a service that you attend. The scriptures in God's eyes are talking about you and I, we are the body of Christ. And that in his eyes, we, believe this or not, we are beautiful in his eyes. We are beloved in his eyes. 
And again, he's not talking about a building or a service. He's talking about you and I, we are the church. And for those of you that at some point in your life made that decision, at some point in your life when you said yes to the dress, I'm so thankful that you have done that. I'm so thankful that you are a part, that I am a part, that we are a part of the bride of Christ. And I want you to know right from the get-go today, as thankful as I am that you've had that experience and that moment in your life, I want you to know that this series is not for you, okay? It's not for you. I believe there are some things in this series that are for you. I believe there are some things that you can take away. My hope is that for you, for those of you that would call yourselves followers of Christ, my hope for you is that this series would be much like you attending a wedding ceremony of a friend or a family member. And that as you sit there and watch a young couple share their vows one with each other and exchange their rings and all these things that would happen in a ceremony, that as you sat there, you would hold the hand of your spouse and maybe squeeze a little tighter. Because in that moment, you would be reminded, you would be taken back to all those years ago when you were there and when you made those vows, when you made that promise, when you made that commitment. You'd remember back to the time where the dress fit, right? And you had hair and and you remember back to when you liked each other. You remember all those, like, I'm just kidding. But you remember back, you think back to those moments and it takes you back and it stirs up in you those memories and those feelings and it encourages you. It uplifts you. It takes you back. I hope that this series will do that. But I want in this series to talk to two specific groups of people. And I want to invite you to say yes to the dress. First of all, I want to talk to people who I want to invite you to follow Christ, to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to accept the invitation, the proposal that he extends to you to follow him. If you've never made that decision in your life, even though maybe you've come to church, even though you kicked the tires in the faith thing, in this series, my hope is to kind of encourage you or woo you, if you will, to say yes to Christ and then to take the next step. And this is the second group of people. Maybe you have followed Christ. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for months, maybe even years, maybe again, so long you can't even remember when it started. But somewhere, for some reason, you did not take the practical step, the important step of baptism. And I wanna encourage you to get baptized. That at the end of this series, four weeks from now, we are gonna have a baptism service. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never gotten baptized, though you've followed Christ, I wanna encourage you to take that step. Because in a growing relationship with Christ, much like in a marriage relationship, there's a private, intimate moment where there's a commitment made, but then there's a public moment that celebrates that. And we want to share that with you. And that's one of the powerful imageries that we get of baptism. And we want to celebrate that with you. And so maybe for you, you're like, you know what? I've been a Christian so long. It's like, why? What's the point now? Like, it's been so long. Does it even matter? I want to encourage you to take that step. And so that together, four weeks from now, we will celebrate together much like a ceremony. We might even give out a toaster. I don't know. But we are going to celebrate together the fact that there are those in this room who are part of the bride of Christ. And I'm believing that there are going to be 10, 15, 20 people who on that Sunday we are going to baptize and we are going to have the party, the sober one, but we are going to have a party and we are going to celebrate the bride of Christ together. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I know that for many of you, you come to church week after week, month after month, maybe you've been coming more parts of your life than you can even you know, remember. It's been so long since you, you know, you've been coming to church. But for you, coming to church is it for you that you would call yourself a Christian because you come to church. That for you, it's that because you prescribe to some belief that there's a higher power or that because there's a God, you think that coming to a program somehow validates that every Sunday morning. But for you, if you're honest, that's where it ends. That you don't deny that Christ lived, but because he lived, it doesn't have any implications. It doesn't do anything to the way that you view or live your own life. And see, the reason that I want to talk about this, and I think the reason that this is so important, is that if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, even though you come to church, there's a reason. 
that for every single one of you, maybe the reason you come to church is because your mom or your dad drag you here, or maybe it's because you wanna keep your spouse happy and so you come to church and you just kind of sit back and you kind of take it all in, but it doesn't matter to you. Or maybe you think that coming to church makes you a Christian or some of those things. But if you're not a Christian, if you have not said yes to the dress, if you are not a part of the bride of Christ, there's a reason And as I've been thinking about this, I've tried to put myself and look at it from your perspective. I've tried to put myself in your shoes and I get that there's a reason. That if we were to sit down over coffee, you know, have a nice latte and you were to tell me your story and I would say, hey, you know, why don't you become a Christian? You say, listen, Scott, like I hear what you're saying. I like coming to the bridge. You know, some of the stuff you guys do is great and all that. But I just... I just have some huge issues with Christianity. I just have some huge questions as it relates to faith. Like I just, I wanna believe in God, but when I look at the world, when I look at all the things that are or aren't happening in the world, there's just, there's just so much suffering, right? There's just so much suffering in the world. There's so much going on in the world. And it's just like, you say that there's a God who loves us and who knows our name and all these things that you say all the time and you, you say it like you believe it. And yet, if there is that loving God, why, why, why is there so much stuff like this happening in the world? You just can't seem to get over that hurdle or over that obstacle or over that objection. And I want you to know, if you have that obstacle, I don't want you to think it's stupid. I want you to know, I get it. That's a valid obstacle. That's very, very real. And every single one of us, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, there is a real valid reason why. For others of you, it's because you've known too many Christians, right? You've known too many Christians, maybe somebody in your family, maybe you work with some Christians, you're like, why would I wanna be one of those? Like I'm a better person than most of the Christians that I know. That's an unfortunate reality for some of you. And for others of you, maybe your obstacle is that you grew up in a different denomination, a denomination that taught you don't have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, that being a Christian is just about believing in a higher power or believing in God. It's just about being a good person. And if somehow you can kind of tip the scale and do more good things than bad things, that's okay. That's all you need to do. Or maybe you grew up in a different religion altogether. And then you come to a church like this one that preaches and teaches that there's only one way to God, that there's only one way to heaven. And that's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you hear that, you're like, that's my problem with Christians. You're so narrow-minded. You just, you're so arrogant. You're so dogmatic that you are the only ones who've got it figured out. That there's only one way to God and you've figured it out. Like, I just have a real problem with that. And I get that. And for me to stand up here and say, ah, don't worry about it. Just throw that to the side. Just, you know, don't worry about it. Just become a Christian anyway. Like you couldn't do that. Much like if I were to go to another faith-based religion and I was to walk in and then say, hey, just believe. And I'm like, what would it take for me to do that? I just can't do that. You couldn't be intellectually honest and do that. And I get it. And for others of you, your objection is, you know, it's not that, you know, you, you come to, or it is, you come to a church like this, and you hear, you know, you know, you're like, man, I'm, I'm starting to agree. I'm starting to, you know, actually I'm starting to look at life and I'm starting to look at spirituality in a way I've never looked at it before. Like I've been coming to the bridge and, you know, I've been thinking about things. I'm asking questions that I've never asked before. Uh, I'm thinking about things in a way I've never thought of them before. I'm starting to see things really, really differently. But for you, your obstacle is the fact that your, your parents or your grandparents or someone you loved, they didn't believe. And in order for you to say yes to Jesus for you, that's an emotional thing because to do so would be to admit that your mom or your dad or your grandfather or someone you love, it would be to admit that they were wrong and you can't bring yourself to do that. And that's a legitimate obstacle. That is a very real obstacle. And again, for me just to get up here and say, ah, that's silly. Don't worry about that. Just become a Christian. Like you can't do that. And for others of you, it's not that, you know, you're worried about what someone else didn't believe. The fact is you don't believe it. 
right? You don't believe it. You sit in here again, maybe somebody bribes you here or you're trying to keep somebody happy. And so you come to church, but you're like, I don't believe this, right? Like the idea, like I have no problem admitting that nobody's perfect, but the idea that, you know, there was this guy who died and then three days later, he rose again from the dead to, you know, pay for the sins of the world. Like you're just not buying it. And that's a real obstacle. And for others of you, your obstacle isn't even that specific. For some of you, your obstacle is you just don't care, right? And for me to say, why don't you become a Christian? You're like, why don't you become an astronaut? Like I, you just, there's no, there's no tension. There's no, there's no need. There's no, there's no draw. You just don't care. And you're like, Scott, that's great for all you naive people. That's great for all you weak people who need a crutch. But I just don't, I just don't care. See, there's an obstacle, whatever it is, there's an obstacle between you and you becoming a Christian and whatever it is for you, it's real and it's valid. And again, for me to stand up here and say, what I want everybody to do is just wipe those away. Don't worry about it. Become like, that's naive because whatever issue, whatever obstacle, whatever, you know, you have questions that haven't been answered and those are very real. And I think you'd be foolish just to try to, you know, pretend like they don't exist. But here's what I want you to know. And here's what I want to do in this series. I want you to, what I've discovered in my own life, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up, you know, going to church. You know, I didn't grow up in all those kind of environments. It was later in life where I came to faith. And for me, and what I've discovered in, you know, over 20 some years of ministry and talking with people who have had all of these obstacles and then some, right? Here's what I've discovered. People don't become Christians because they've worked through or overcome all their obstacles, People who become Christians, people who say yes to the dress, people who follow Christ don't do so because they've worked through or overcome all their obstacles. They don't become Christians because they've gotten all their questions answered. That doesn't happen. Maybe sometimes they get some questions answered, maybe sometimes from time to time, but it, it, it doesn't happen that way. Here's what I've observed. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm meaning by this, that is if I were to sit down with somebody, again, over coffee, because that's what I do. If I was sitting down with somebody and they said, hey, Scott, like, you know, I hear what you're saying about becoming a Christian, but listen, I, I just really, there's just way too much suffering in the world. And I can't understand how a loving God would allow that stuff to happen. And I'd say, listen, I get it. So here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you a book, the best book that I know of about suffering in the world and being a Christian. And you take it home. And if that person takes it home and they read it and they're like, oh, wow, this makes a whole lot of sense. I've just over Become my obstacle with suffering in the world and becoming a Christian. I'm ready to become a Christian. Like that almost never happens. It may, but very, very rarely. People who become Christians don't do so because they've had all their questions answered or because somehow they've overcome all their obstacles. Here's what I've discovered. People become Christians because something happens. Something happens that overshadows their obstacles. Something happens that all of a sudden overshadows all their questions. It's not that their questions have been answered. It's not that their obstacles are overcome. It's that something happens that overshadows those questions and those obstacles. And many times, many times, myself included, they carry some of those questions and objections right on with them as they embrace faith and follow Jesus. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe this is your story, or maybe you know somebody who has this story, someone that you know, someone that you love, had all kinds of questions, had all kinds of issues, had all kinds of concerns and objections about Christianity. And then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes, right? Tragedy strikes and all of a sudden that person who had all those questions and all those objections, all of a sudden they're kneeling beside the side of their bed, negotiating with a God they were convinced they didn't believe in. Right? All of a sudden, something happens and suddenly they believe. Why? How? Because in a moment, it went from being a category. In a moment, it went from being a list of objections to all of a sudden, it went to became something deeply, deeply 
relational. And see, here's the thing I've discovered in my own life. People don't become Christians because they get their questions answered or their obstacles and objections overcome. They become Christians because something happens that overshadows those objections. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, Scott, okay, listen. If you think for one second that I'm gonna be as intellectually dishonest with myself as to just set aside all my questions and all my objections and all my you know, doubts and all these other things, if you think I'm just gonna push aside all those things that have kept me from being a Christian all these years because of something you said in a sermon or because someone I love gets sick or because of some you know, jailhouse conversion, like I need you, God, and I'll do whatever. And like you say, like, if you think that's gonna happen, I'm not gonna fall for that. Like you can have the, you know, the mood music playing in the background when you wind this thing down, but I'm not gonna fall for that. I'm way too smart for that. And I get it. I 100% get it. So what I wanna do for the next few moments is I wanna show you how you've fallen for a similar thing in a different area of your life. You just didn't know it. You just didn't know it because as smart as we are, as intellectually astute as we are, as ironclad as our objections are, every single one of us in another arena of life have fallen for a similar thing. We just didn't know it. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna talk to the guys for just a minute. Ladies, I'm gonna come back to you in just a second. But married men, play along. if you're playing along at home, you can play along. Just look straight though. Don't look at your spouse. But married men, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to all the reasons you had why you weren't going to get married when you were single. Can you remember all those reasons, right? Remember when you were out at the sports bar and your buddies were like, hey man, when are you guys getting married? And you're like, never. And, and, and remember this? And, and, and somebody would say, why not? And you'd say, because, remember that? because of this, because of that. And you had all these reasons, single guys, those of you that aren't married, you, you, uh, you probably have a list, right? And your list that you have right now while you're not getting married is the same list that those of us that are married had at one point before we got married, right? It's this list, remember this? Um, I have, you know, I don't wanna lose my freedom, right? Um, I have commitment issues, I can't afford to get married. I've known too many married people, even my own parents, right? Like I've seen so many train wrecks that I'm not, there's no way I wanna sign up for that. You thought I'm too young, right? And too young to get married or you thought, what if I meet, you know, like Scarlett Johansson or somebody, like what if I meet somebody else along the way and somebody better comes along, like as if you're that good, but, but you know what I mean? You're like, you're like, what if somebody better, like you had all of these reasons. Now guys, how many, let's be honest guys, those of you that are married, how many of these things did you thoroughly work through before you got married? None, right? Right? Like, like I haven't talked, now you might be the exception. I haven't talked to every married man in the world, right? But I've talked to enough married guys to know that I've, I've never had a married guy tell me, hey, here's what I did, Scott, before I got married. I made a list. No, married, nobody does that. But I made a list. I, I, I wrote it all out and here's what I did. I just started working through them one at a time. And you know, the freedom thing, check that off quick. I, I, I read a few books, watched a few TED Talks, freedom, no problem. Then I started thinking about commitment. I'm like, why am I so afraid of commitment? And then I started thinking, well, I realized, you know, my issue isn't really with commitment. It's commitment with uncertainty. But then I realized that, you know, there's a, and there's a level of uncertainty in everything in life. And so then I, real, I put two and two together, amazingly. And I realized commitment isn't the issue. And then I started saving my money. And when I was 55 years old, I realized, I think I think I've got enough money to get married right now. Well, if I find somebody with low expectations. And, and then I thought, you know what? When we get married, what I'm going to do is I'm only going to hang out with people who have perfect marriages. I'm going to have an application process for the people that we're going to befriend and we're going to watch them. And we're going to do that. And then I, like I said, I waited till I was 55 to get married. And then when I got married, I had both my eyes put out, right? Like guys, like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hands, but I'm pretty confident myself included that none of us worked through any of this before we got married, right? Why? Right? Um, no, sorry. Right. Love. Love. You. 
love, you fell in love, right? Like before love came along, marriage was just a category. Marriage was just a list of all these fears and objections and concerns and questions. It was all of this uncertainty. Before that, that's all it was. And those objections you had, that list that you made, those concerns, those fears, those obstacles, they were very, very real. They were huge. But then you met someone. In other words, all of a sudden, marriage was no longer about marriage. Marriage was about her, right? It was no longer about commitment for the rest of my life. It was about being with her for the rest of my life. And it was no longer about money. It was about her. It was about her right there. And all of a sudden, the questions didn't go away. The obstacles weren't overcome. They just were overshadowed by the thought of being with that person, that one person for the rest of your life. In other words, the obstacles you had were overshadowed by the relationship you pursued. And here's all I have to say today. This is how people become Christians. This is why people become Christians. It's not because someone is smart enough to answer all their questions. And it's not because somehow they figure out how to overcome all of their obstacles. It's because those obstacles, as real and valid as they are, are overshadowed by a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that they prioritize and pursue. And that relationship overshadows all of those real and valid objections. See, you've done this in another area of your life. And so have you, ladies. So have you, ladies. Why in the world would you want to have a baby? Like, have you ever thought that through? Have you ever done like the mental gymnastics of trying to figure that out? Like, do you know the implications? Do you know the concerns? Do you know the hazards to your health? Like, you thought well, what a baby, having a baby is gonna do to your body? I am so thankful. Here's just a tidbit, lunch talk. Two good things happened at the fall of man. One was that the woman was told, you're gonna be the one to give child, I couldn't do it. Like there's just no way. The human race would be done if it was left to men to have children. Just not gonna happen. The second good thing that happened in the fall of man is bacon, right? Because this is just fun theological fact. Before the fall of man, there was no death, which meant we were all vegetarians. So, I mean, God can make good out of anything. That's just the takeaway from that. So you can, you can talk that over, over lunch. But the point is, especially if you're having bacon, but think about this. Have you thought about the risks to your body, ladies? Have you thought about how much it costs? Do you know how much it costs to raise a child from birth to age 18? Or if you've got a 30-year-old freeloader that's still in your house, like, you, have, you thought about, have you thought about how long and how much that costs? Have you thought, see, you didn't, you didn't figure that all out. Before you had a baby, you didn't go through all the risk factors. You didn't figure out the financial piece. You didn't figure out and cover all of the health concerns. Something happened inside of you that caused all those obstacles to be overshadowed because it was no longer about pregnancy as a category. All of a sudden, it was about your baby. See, the obstacles you had were overshadowed by a relationship that you desired and pursued. And for some of you young people, you're like, I I'm not even thinking about having a baby and I'm certainly not thinking about marriage. All you wanted was a pet, right? So there's some of you that are young enough and all you wanted was a cat. All you wanted was a dog. You're like, mommy, daddy, please, can we have the cat? Please, can we have the dog? And your parents had this whole list of all the reasons why we shouldn't have a pet. Do you know how much it costs? Do you know how much work? Do you know all these other things? You're like, I really want to. Did you think about the fact that this pet is going to break your heart because it's going to not outlive you? That 10, 12, 14 years later, you are signing on the dotted line for a broken heart. But see, all the objections, as valid as they are, are overshadowed, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, 
the relationship you desire and pursue is overshadowing all of the obstacles that are real and valid. And all I'm saying is, this is just an example of how relationships can overcome objections, barriers, concerns, questions, and challenges. I'm not saying that you should throw your questions out the door. In fact, I think it's important to have and ask big questions. God's big enough for your questions. I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's a journey of faith. All I'm saying is if you're ever gonna follow Jesus, if you're ever gonna say yes to the dress, it's not gonna be because someone like me is gonna be smart enough to answer all your questions or help you overcome all your obstacles. It's because you are gonna pursue and choose to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And as you do, all of those questions and all of those objections won't go away. They'll just be overshadowed. And in some ways, just like me, you're gonna carry those objections and those obstacles with you as you follow Jesus. And to illustrate this quickly before we get you on your way, I wanna read to you quickly a story in the New Testament that I think illustrates this, what this idea that we're talking about as we start this series perfectly. And again, this is just the launching point for this series. So if you're like walking out of here and you go, he didn't resolve all of that. In fact, he didn't resolve any of that. I gotta go back next week. Perfect, mission accomplished. So here's the story. It's found in the book of John and here's what it says. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Now this is at the beginning of the book of John, one of the gospels, the books that chronicle the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. And John's account, we're finding Jesus is calling his first followers, 12 young boys that would be known as his disciples. Now he doesn't have 12 yet. This is when he's initially calling them. And so this is the moment he's kind of, this is, you know, he's going near his hometown. And it says, the next day Jesus decided uh, yeah, to, to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he said, come follow me. Now this is it. This is the, this is the invitation. This is the proposal. Come follow me. And Philip, he says, yes, absolutely. He says yes to the dress. He's been around Jesus long enough to know that if this guy is calling me to be a part of his inner circle, I'm absolutely in. I'm hundred percent in. Now, Peter, or sorry, Philip, like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. And this is where the story is gonna pick up some momentum and we're gonna go really, really fast. It says, Philip went to look for Nathaniel. And this is the part for those of you that would call yourselves Christians. This is the part that's for you. This is the part of this message today that's for you. Philip went to look, intentionally look for Nathaniel. And this is important because in this moment, Jesus was calling people to follow him, but Philip called someone to follow him as he followed Jesus because he was so excited about that. That's your takeaway. That part of you as you follow Jesus, this excitement as you follow Jesus is to invite other people to come along for this journey with you. And he says, oh, go back. Go back one. Yeah, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. Now this is big because for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been waiting on a Messiah. You know, the Christmas story that we all celebrate? Well, they were waiting for that moment. They were waiting for the birth of this one who would come and be their Messiah. And they had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years. They'd been waiting so long that they had concluded, many of the people concluded, there isn't gonna be one. In fact, many of the Jews had decided God has abandoned us. And all of a sudden, after hundreds and hundreds of years, this guy is like, hey, the one that people have been waiting for for generations, we found him. Yeah, right, right? Like, and, and, and this is so interesting. He says, the Moses and the prophets, like these are smart people who wrote about this very thing. The people, the person that smart people, smarter people than us have been waiting for, we are the ones that found him. Now, Nathaniel, as maybe some of you are, as some of us used to be, he's skeptical as he should be. I mean, he's just minding his own business and all of a sudden his buddy runs and he's like, we found the one that everybody's been waiting for. We are the ones. And he's like, uh-huh. You know, he says, no, we have. He said, his name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And as soon as he, you ever had that moment happen where you say something and the minute you say it, you wish you could get it back. That's what happens right here. Philip says, he's from Nazareth. Oh, I shouldn't have said Nazareth. Why did I say that? I should have 
No sooner does he say Nazareth than he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like if he wasn't impressed to begin with, he's totally checked out now. He's like, I don't want any part of this. Can anything good come from Nazareth? This means nothing to us. But in this culture, Nazareth had a really negative connotation. New Testament scholars have no idea why, but people spoke about Nazareth in a negative light. And so all of a sudden, Philip shows up and he goes, hey, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, first of all, you didn't find the Messiah. And second of all, there's no way he's from Nazareth. That'd be like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, they found the cure for cancer. And you're like, whoa, no way. Where? Toronto? No. Montreal? No. Vancouver? No. Ottawa? No. Kempville, right? Like if, <laughs> if you're from Kempville, I'm sorry. I, um, but, but honestly, like, like you, no matter how bad things in your life are, you wouldn't be hopping in the car and going to Kempville because you just wouldn't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. And the same is true. Nathaniel just can't believe it. Now, Philip could have done something really foolish here. He could have sat down. He could have made, uh, brought in the espresso machine and made a latte for Nathaniel and sat him down and say, hey, let's, let's talk about your concerns. Like, look, talk to me, unpack why Nazareth is such a huge issue for you. I just wanna, I wanna understand. Like they could have went back and forth and Philip could have tried to convince Nathaniel that it's possible that the Messiah could have come from Nazareth. He could have done that. And he could have maybe over time, he probably could have maybe convinced him that the Messiah came from Nazareth. But Nathaniel wouldn't be any closer to meeting Jesus. So that's not what Philip does. Instead, what Philip does is the same thing that has been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years and why people, despite all their objections, as valid as they are, have embraced Christ and embraced and walked with Jesus. Philip said, pure and simple, come and see. Well, wait a minute, what about the Nazareth thing? I, I got nothing. I can't explain that. I don't understand it myself, but just, just come and see. I can't, I got all these questions. I have all these concerns. I have all these objections. There's this huge, op- what are you talking about? We need to talk about this. Listen, just, just, I'm really excited about this. Just come and see for yourself. You can ask him about the whole Nazareth thing yourself. Just, 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 just come with me. And so he does. He says, yes, and he follows Philip. And as he comes and approaches Jesus, watch what happens. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. This is a weird moment. Nathanael has all these questions and he comes towards Jesus and Jesus points him out and says, here he is. Here's the man who won't pretend. Here is the man who will ask questions. Here is the man you can't fake out. Here is the man who's gonna be honest with himself and honest with the people around him. Here's a man who won't follow just anyone. And Nathaniel is like, what in the world? How does this guy know anything about me? And suddenly he's feeling really, really weird. And he asks a question, not about Nazareth. He says, how do, how do you know about me? Now listen, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm gonna be able to resolve all your issues. All I'm saying is, and this is just to launch this series, Nathaniel asked the right question. How do you know about me? See, just a moment ago, he had this huge obstacle, Nazareth. And in a moment, it went from being about Nazareth to the question being, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, I saw you. How creepy is that? right? Like every move you make. Like I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. That's pretty specific. And Nathaniel must've been like, this guy is freaking me out right now. And so he declared, let's talk about that Nazareth thing. That's the 
NSLT, the trusty new Scott Landry translation. That is not... That is not what Nathaniel declared. That's not what's in the Bible. That's not what he said at all. You see, in this moment, it was no longer an issue or a question or an obstacle about Nazareth. It wasn't that he figured it out. It wasn't that it made any more sense now than it did later. It was that all of a sudden he was standing face to face with a person named Jesus, this Jesus who knew something about him and it made no sense how he could know anything about him. And all of a sudden, it wasn't that he figured it out. And so he declared, Rabbi, you are. That's a pretty firm, bold statement. How can anything good come from Nazareth to you are the son of God? You are the king of Israel. Now, we don't know if he ever got the Nazareth thing figured out. We don't have any record of a conversation about that. What we do know is that a man who wouldn't pretend, a man who would ask questions, a man who would be honest with himself, allowed his questions and his objections to be overshadowed by a relationship that was presented to him in this moment. And he said yes to follow Jesus. And that one word didn't answer everything, but it changed everything. And that is how smart, rational, thinking people become Christians. People become Christians because something happens that overshadows their obstacles. And so here's what I want to do for the next four weeks. I want to look at your list and you know your own list. You know which one of these resonate with you. Maybe there are others. And what I'm not going to do in this series is answer all these questions. And I'm not going to be able to overcome these obstacles for you. My hope and my prayer is that they will be overshadowed by your choice to pursue a relationship with Jesus. That's what Philip did. That's what Nathaniel did. That's what I've done. That's what many of you have done. I still have a lot of questions. I've had the same questions since the day I began following Jesus. I've had obstacles. I've had concerns. I've had doubts. They haven't gone away. They've just gotten overshadowed. But see, that's the thing that happens when you pursue a relationship. You don't always have it all figured out and you don't have all the answers, but the implications of that decision you make are discovered day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year as you follow him. In some cases, the questions get answered. In some cases, the obstacles are overcome. In other cases, you carry them right on with you as you do life. But the relationship that you're in and the relationship you desire and the relationship that you pursue overshadows all of those things. And you figure them out as you go. And Jesus would say, that's how it works. Because see, nobody in this room that's married had all their objections overcome. Nobody in this room that's married had all their questions or their fears addressed before they got married. They said yes, and they've lived their lives discovering the implications, and that's how it works. So my hope for you isn't that I'm going to be able to answer your questions or overcome all your obstacles. My hope is that you will be able to see Jesus, and you will desire and choose a relationship with him that will help overshadow. And isn't this the truth as we close? Isn't that what you want for you? As you look at your own life, don't you want someone to love you without having all the answers about your life? Don't you want to be accepted for who and where you are right now and allow people to journey with you and figure more and more about you? That, see, that thing that you desire, the scriptures would show us that that's the image, that's the thumbprint of God in you. And Jesus says, follow me. I'm not going to give it all to you up front. I'm not going to explain it all up front 
But I promise you that as you walk with me and as you walk in relationship with me, you will discover more and more every day what it means. And that's the journey of a lifetime. And that is the journey that you've been invited to. So I hope that you'll come along for this journey in this series. And I hope that at some point along the way that you will make that choice, regardless of the reality and the validity of your obstacles, that you will let them be overshadowed by a relationship with Jesus that you will choose to pursue. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the honor and the privilege of being with these incredible, beautiful people in this room and also the people that are joining us from home. And I thank you, God, that we can talk about real life and we can talk about um, our challenges and our questions, our concerns, our doubts, our fears, all the things that cause us to kind of wonder and try to make sense of life and at the same time try to see you in it. And sometimes it's tough. And I know that in this room, there are a lot of different questions and obstacles that people have that are preventing them from actually following you. It's not that they don't believe, but at the same time, they're not actually following you. And I pray that at some point along the way, whether it's throughout the course of this series or maybe it's later, maybe even it's today, that they would make a decision to follow you. And as they follow you, they would see you more and more and that God, you would overcome and overshadow those obstacles because you are walking with each one. God, I thank you for the gift of today. I thank you for the opportunity to be with these incredible people. And I pray your blessing upon each one as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us before you go. And as you do, to all the moms out there, to all the grandmothers out there, we are so thankful for each one of you. We hope that you have the most amazing day today, that you are celebrated as you should be. There's not enough words. There's not enough gifts or flowers in the world to do you justice. We pray God's blessing upon you. Let's sing together as we go. God bless. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love. God bless.